And James, why don't you come and join me? James has been with us before, but it's been four years. Yeah. Does anyone out there recognize recognize James? You th- you think I wasn't he- wearing a mask yeah. last time. Yeah, yeah. So I look a little different. It's been a little while. You yeah. look different. You look better. Thank you. Yeah, from my recall, I think I you, look, feel you look better. James works with one child. Uh, prior to that, uh, and maybe still, you're still ordination with the Alliance? Yep, licensed and ordained with Christian Missionary okay. Alliance in this particular district. So I live in Washington State as well, down in Vancouver. I'm pulling my mask off my nose because my glasses are fogging up so bad I can't see anything. So, so just, I'll take an extra step. Yeah, I think say, you know, yeah, it's, the spittle say, will be. Yeah. It. <laughs> it's good. Yeah, well, and, and so 20, 25 plus years with the Alliance. I know, you, you know. Yep. That probably doesn't mean much for this crowd. <laughs> Good job. Uh, way to hang in there. Yeah. Uh, lots of various roles that you've you, you've served in in the alliance, including national youth director for a time. Right. That's right. crazy and yeah. awesome. But you've been w- with one child for how many years now? I've been with one child for five years. Five years. Yeah. Okay. Just so celebrated my fifth year. So. Very cool. So tell us a little bit of an overview about One Child Matters, and yeah. we have a little. We had a video. Do we have a video queued up? I was giving some time. Let's let's do that. That may help. Uh, you know, pictures are worth a thousand words. So. Okay. Wakati mwingine, kukata tamaa una mshindo mkubwa. Kuna upweke. Es difícil ver un camino hacia allá. So, together then. Juntos, entonces habrá un mañana. Together through the tears. To laughter. Together, because this is who we are. Together, so they can try. Pick it up from there. Yeah, so uh, a global community of child champions, that's how we describe ourselves. And a child champion is, the definition we use is anybody who gives of themselves so that a child may thrive. So that can be a tutor, that could be, uh, it could be a teacher, it could be a coach, it could be a parent, it could be an uncle or an aunt, it could be uh, all these people who work with these children. That's what that video is really about, was to see, so that you could see what it's like for a child in one of our development programs around the world. They're surrounded by the people who are championing them, the people who care for them, the people who know them by name, who live in the same community where they live. And, uh, and so that's what we call ourselves a global community of child champions. But also, there are child champions here in North America as well. And those are the people who sponsor the children. They are also a chi- champion for that child. They're also giving of themselves so that that child can thrive. And a big part of that is uh, writing letters. There was a real quick shot in the video of, of a pile of letters and photos that, uh, that children get from their sponsor. And they treasure those things because the words that sponsors share with them in those letters are words that they often never hear. Like, like I'm so proud of you. Uh, I love you. 
Um, you're going to do great things. God has a great plan for your life. Those, a lot of these children never hear that. Where they live, often they're considered to be the problem. And what we say is children aren't problems. Children are solutions. And if any change is going to happen in those communities, it's going to have to start with the children. And that's what we really believe in and why we put so much emphasis on the child champions, those who actually teach and mentor and tutor and the nurses and all the people who are uh, connected to those children in their day-to-day lives. So that's who we are as an organization, uh, or at least that dis- defines what we, uh, what, how we describe ourselves as an organization. How long has one child been around, and, and yeah. what, what are the distinctives? And then what are you seeing? In, you know, it's been four years since you've been with us. You've been with one child five yeah. years. You travel all over. What are you seeing in, these, you know, in this growth and opportunities? Yeah. Uh, what's changing? And then the last 18 months, too. <laughs> I'm sure you got right. it. That's right. just crazy, right? So, so one child's been around for like 60 years. Um, it was originally called Mission of Mercy. It started in Calcutta, India. And uh, started with basically rescuing children from the streets, giving them a place to go, a, a place to um, be safe. It, it, it was connected to what Mother Teresa was actually doing in, in Calcutta at that time as well. So that's kind of our origin. But since then, we've grown. Um, we used to be connected to a denomination that we are no longer officially connected to. And now, so we're an independent uh, organization, but we're in 14 countries around the world, 14 of the poorest countries around the world. Uh, our tagline is hope in hard places. So we go to the hard places. We go to the places that are hard spiritually. Uh, just maybe there's another another major religion in that area that, that we um, come up against uh, in doing what we're doing. It could be really hard to get to. We go to the really hard to get to places, top of a mountain out in the jungle kind of places where we have hope centers. Um, and sometimes they're just hard places just because of the extreme poverty. Almost everywhere we work, uh, we're working with extreme poverty. So been around for quite a few years. In the five years that I've been with one child, I didn't know very much about child development when I started with one child. I didn't, I, I had never really even heard that word. I didn't know what that meant. I had sponsored children with other organizations before, but I didn't know other than I thought they would get food and maybe some clothes and some medical care or whatever. I didn't really know what it meant to sponsor a child and what it actually did for that child. And when I started working at One Child, what I discovered was it, it actually, it's a program. It's not just we give them some things. It's a program that they get to be a part of. So they go to a Hope Center regularly every week. And when they're there, they get food. They get um, like a nutritious meal that they might not get the rest of the week. They get help with their education. We wanted them to stay in school as long as possible. Um, you know, a lot of children around the world get sold into slavery and... So there's rescue ministries around the world. In fact, we, some, some of what we do in the Philippines is rescue ministry. But what child sponsorship is, this is kind of a little-known fact, is it's a preventative program. So if children can stay in school, which we help encourage the parents to keep them in school, don't pull them out, don't put them to work in the fields, don't marry your daughters off when they're still a child. Like, like let's keep them in school as long as possible because the longer they're in school, the more education they get, the greater chance that we reverse the cycle of poverty in that community because those children don't fall into the same patterns that have um, that have made that community that way for so long. So we want them to stay in school so they get tutoring, they get medical screening, we make sure that, they, um, uh, that, they're, that they're doing well physically, and we actually do home visits. So we go into the homes and make sure that there's no one or no thing in that home that could be dangerous to them as well. And then... Uh, 
we give them a safe place to be a child. So children living in poverty don't, it's, it's hard sometimes for them to just go out and play in the street, uh, in the, in the neighborhood because the neighborhoods are dangerous for a lot of different reasons. Um, so when they're at a hope center, they get to play. It's safe. They can be there with their friends. There's no one who's going to hurt them there. And then everywhere that we work around the world, we work with the local church. So children get to hear the gospel. So these are children who, like I said, have maybe never heard that there's a God who created them, who loves them, who has good plans for them. And they begin to dream and have hope for the future. Uh, we, we call ourselves hope dealers. And we're out there distributing hope through these hope centers. And, um, and we describe hope this way. Hope is the, is the vision a preferred future, the vision of a preferred future. But that's, that's not enough. You can't just see and, and that's just wishing if, if it's just something out there that you can't achieve. So it's a preferred, it's a vision of a preferred future, but it's also a way to get there. And the way to get there is through this development program that they're a part of. But then the other thing that they need, and this is where the champions come in, is you need courage to try. Because it's not easy to reach that goal. It's not easy to get to that preferred future. If it was easy, you would have already done it. And so uh, hope is a vision of a, of a preferred future, a pathway to get there, and the courage to try. And that's what we're creating for the children uh, in these hope centers. From a personal standpoint, when I first started working at One Child, um, I didn't tell them this in the job interview, but I, I'm not, I wasn't, I don't, I wasn't really a big fan of children's ministry. <laughs> I was a youth pastor and I love teenagers and I was like, I don't know, I probably shouldn't tell them I don't like kids. That would be a, that would be detrimental to the, the job interview. And I really wanted the job. So, uh, so I didn't tell them, but I did, I did have a bit of an internal struggle because I love young people so much. I love teenagers so much and that's what I worked with for 25 years and, and I just didn't know if I would have the passion for working with children. And then one day I was in a slum, the worst slum I've ever been in. It's in the Dominican Republic. It's not the worst, uh, it's not the poorest place on earth, but it's the most, it's the only slum I've ever been in where I didn't feel safe. And I've been in this one a couple of different times. The name of the slum, if you translate it into English, is get out if you can. So that's, that's enough of a reason to not go in, probably. Um, but I was in this slum, uh, we were doing a tour, you know, it was like gringos on parade, we were a bunch of white pastors walking through this slum, and, and, and I was nervous, like I was scared. If, if the pastor of the local church hadn't been with us, former gang member who's now the pastor of the church, if he hadn't been with us, I think I would have been very intimidated and would not have felt very comfortable there. And we're walking through the place, and it was just, it was horrific. Like what I was seeing was horrific. But he was taking us to the home of one of the girls from the program who grew up in going to the Hope Center. So we went to visit her and her parents in her home. And when we stepped into her little home, just a two-room two house, when we stepped into her home, it was like we had stepped into like an oasis in the middle of, of hell. That's what it felt like. It felt like there was a place of peace and grace and mercy in this horrific environment. And she was, she was probably about, I'm guessing like maybe 14 years old and she had brand new braces that she had just gotten that we'd, that one child had helped her get. And she just was like beaming as she told us about the program and she brought out the letters that her sponsor had written to her. And she was just, she was just a different kind of person. And I remember at that moment feeling like, okay, if, if our programs produce this kind of young woman, this kind of teenager, who's going to be a leader in her own community, she's actually, she said, I want to become a nurse or a dentist so that I can help the kids in the community. 
I, if, if our programs produce that kind of young person, I can advocate for children all day long. And so, and that's when I really fell in love with my job because I got to see what we were actually doing and, uh, it was powerful. I've, I've been back in that slum since then and just recently in the last, it was during COVID, we went back down there. And, uh, again, I did not feel safe and, um, and apparently we didn't find this out till like a few weeks later. There was a plot to kill us while we were there. There were actually, there were gang members who were trying to decide who was going to shoot who. They were going to steal our camera equipment and, uh, and, and there was an actual discussion going on about it. And that's the one time that I felt like, man, when people are praying for me, um, I feel the power of that prayer in those moments that I didn't even know that I was in danger, uh, as much danger as I was. So, so I love that we're in that community, that we are right in the middle of one of the hardest places on earth providing hope for young people in that community. So that's awesome. I don't know if I shared all everything that you asked joining in with God's presence already. I mean, that's where he's at. Yeah. Um, just the last 18 months, I guess, was the last piece right. of, you know, what, what has COVID done to this ministry? You guys were growing. You were expanding. Maybe snapshot to 40,000 children are being sponsored. Right. Uh, is, is there a, a growth trajectory? And has that all changed with COVID? And what are some of the bigger needs in these last 18 months and continuing in these places that don't yeah. have access to medicine and vaccines? Right. So so during COVID, for, for us, it was difficult because you couldn't do certain things. Um, but when you get to people who are living in extreme poverty, most of them are day laborers. So whatever they earn today, that buys dinner tonight. And if they can't go out and earn, which a lot of them could not, they were, they were mandated to stay in their homes. They weren't, they were, they would get arrested if they left their homes. So the big problem around the world, and it's still going on today, it's, it hasn't stopped um, for the, over these last 18 months, the, the major problem has been hunger. Children have been starving, families have been starving because they can't earn the money to buy the food that they need. And so our programs, uh, we did a shift in what we do because the children weren't coming to the center because they weren't allowed to. So we managed to go to them. We started doing like basically a food pantry on wheels that we are rarely on wheels, being carried door to door, making sure that families uh, in the communities had food so that the money that goes to the development program wasn't going, wasn't doing all the things at the center. We we changed what we were doing and started providing food for those families. And not even just the families that had children in the program, just the families in the community. So it was a form of um, ministry and outreach to those church, uh, for those churches in those communities going around. Um, there's some really dark things that happened during COVID because, um, like, for example, in the Philippines, um, children there, it's against the law now to have children, uh, spe- uh, anything, anyone under 18 in a brothel. Um, so you can't do that anymore. But they started to figure out how to um, exploit children online. And so parents were actually doing that. So some of the rescue ministry that we have in the Philippines was getting children away from their own parents because their parents were exploiting them online for money. So those are, those are really the dark, ugly things that happen in these places where social control is, is, the, is sometimes the government's goal. They want more social control. And when a virus comes along that says, you can just shut everything down and make everybody stay home, they're like, glorious, that's great, that's what we want. We, wanna, we, we, don't, we don't like all these poor people, and, and the less we have to see them, the better, and maybe even... If they go away, that's not a problem for us as a country. So, so that, that was a huge challenge for us was just trying to help our families 
stay uh, fed and not do anything desperate um, with their children. And, uh, and, and we didn't see a lot of that with the children that are a part of our, our programs. What we saw was children still thriving because there were people who knew them and cared for them and were reaching out to them. So that's what it's been like. And uh, no one got sponsored. Uh, you know, we, we do events like, like a church service. This is how children get sponsored. So we had 8,000 children registered for all the events that were going to happen in 2020 and 2021, and none of them happened. And so those children were just, they were in the program, and we were trying to do everything we could for them, but th- there was no one uh, sponsoring them. So it was we were just carrying 8,000 unsponsored children month after month after month. But God has provided uh, in, ama- in amazing ways. Um, we had the lowest cancellation rate that we've ever had. Um, people cancel sponsorship for for a variety of reasons we had the lowest we've ever had in the last year and a half which means the child champions were committed they were really committed to stay connected to those children and also we've had more generosity uh, over the last two years than we've ever had before uh, people giving so was, which was incredible and I, I know that's been true for a lot of churches as well that giving actually went up because there was uh, because there was more opportunity and more need so Anyway, so that's a little yeah. bit of what's been going on. I think we, that's, that's, I could listen to your stories all the time. That's why I think yeah. we've built a good, close friendship over the last number of years. And I uh, hope you get some time with James, too, to hear more stories. Uh, it's interesting because I think we're, we're presuming upon, yes, we must do this. If we have means, we must help for. It's, it's, it's the heart of the followers of, of Jesus. But I want you to, Share more from God's word, the why. Yeah. Why, not just an assumed, okay, there's a need. And right. the, the last thing would be any kind of sense of, of guilt, that if you're not sponsoring a child, you're not giving generously, you're not right. following Jesus in the kingdom. It's none of that, but it is clearly on God, the Father's heart. Where do we see that from Scripture? Encourage us from God's word today for yeah. a few minutes. Yeah. And then we will give an opportunity of how to respond if you're stirred today, and then how to pray that uh, that would be an ongoing story of a way to partner. There's there's 30 children represented uh, on the board out there that you, that you saw that uh, are registered but do not have sponsors with a new a new place in mind for, from the Dominican. So that's that's coming. You'll hear more about that. But share from God's word the why. And then why are you still doing this? I'm sure that's all dovetailed together because you're sensing the heart of God. Yes. Yeah. And I'll sit down and okay. I'll have some coffee. Yeah, great. If you have a Bible and you want to you want to look at this passage with me, it's in Deuteronomy. Uh, chapter 6. And uh, this passage, uh, I've preached this passage quite a few times, and I can honestly tell you, I used to really mispreach this passage. And I've heard other people mispreach it. I, I think it's a mispreaching of it, the way that I, that I used to do it. And I'll explain that um, in just a little bit. But, but this passage uh, became really important to me a few years ago when I was still a youth pastor. And I recognized that young people were leaving the church in pretty alarming numbers, like a pretty high percentage of young people leaving the church, like after they got out of the youth ministry, after they got into like college years, uh, or maybe just after college, they were, they were kind of walking away from the church, not necessarily walking away from their faith, but walking away from the institution of the church, not participating any longer. And a lot of people were pointing at youth ministry as the problem or one of the problems, at least like youth ministry isn't doing their job. And they're, uh, they're not discipling these children well enough that they would stay in the church for their whole lives. 
And I was very offended by that uh, as a youth pastor, but I was also afraid that it might be true. And I really had a bit of a crisis of purpose as a, as a youth pastor and just as a pastor in general is I don't want to be a part of anything that drives anyone away from the church. If something we're doing is creating this atmosphere where young people leave the church, I don't want anything to do with that. So I was looking for a compelling scriptural foundation for what we were doing in youth ministry. And I looked, I came to this passage because I've, I'd preached this passage before. This is called the Shema. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but the word Shema, it's the, it's the Hebrew word for hear, which is the first word in this passage that I'm going to read. Uh, chapter six, verse four of Deuteronomy. The first word is hear, hear, O Israel. And that's, that, that word is Shema. And, uh, the Israelites, after this, just to give you context, they were getting ready to go into the promised land. They've been wandering in the, they, they were freed from slavery. They've been wandering in the wilderness. Now they're getting ready to go into the promised land. And Moses is getting ready to not lead them there. He doesn't get to go. And so this book, Deuteronomy, is largely Moses' last words to the people that he's led for generate, for a couple of generations. He's not going in with them, and so everything that he's saying here, his last words are hugely important. Really important words, as all last words hopefully, uh, should be. And so as he's saying this, he's, he's reminding them of who, the, of who they are. That's, that's the way I think of Deuteronomy. It's, it's a book of him just reminding them, here's where you came from, here's who you are, here's who your God is. And he says things, I mean, it's crazy when you read through all of this. He says things to them like, what other people have been freed from slavery by miracles? What other people have walked through a river or a, a sea on dry land? What other people have heard the voice of God from a mountain that was on fire and lived to tell about it? And the, they're rhetorical questions because it's, there's no other people. No one else has experienced that. Only the people of God has exper- have experienced that. And he wants them to remember that. He wants them, he's saying, you're going into this land now. And when you go into that land, there's going to be, there's going to be crops there that you didn't plant. There's going to be animal livestock there that you didn't raise. You're going to live in cities that you didn't build. And it will be easy, I think Moses is saying, it would be easy for you to forget who you are and where you came from. And to think that you're, um, that somehow you deserved all of this or that you earned all of this. This is a gift from God. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget who God is. Sadly, you don't have to go very far into the future to find that they didn't do a great job of that. They didn't do a great job of remembering. And this, this particular passage is where I think Moses, he, he goes as hard as he can at this, this idea of do not forget who you are. Do not forget where you came from. This is what it says. Deuteronomy 6, starting at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Do you get the feeling Moses wanted them to remember? Like this is, he's, it's, it's crazy things that he's telling them to do. He's saying you need to put these words on your hands. Like write them, put them on your wrists, wear them. You need to wear them on your head. 
You, I don't know if you've ever, if you remember like stories of Jesus talking about the Pharisees and their phylacteries, how they, they wear wide phylacteries. This is what a phylactery is. It's the thing that they wore on their head that had like a little probably leather pouch in it, uh, on it. And inside the leather pouch were these words, the Shema. If you know anybody who's like a devout um, Jewish person, they probably have on the doorframe of their house a little box or a little metal container or something. And if you were to open that little container and reach in, there'd be paper. And written on that paper is the Shema. Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hero Israel, that you would find that on that paper. That's how seriously Moses wanted them to take this. And it's how literal the people of Israel did take this. So he's, he's making sure that they don't forget these things. And here's where I've mispreached this passage. I've preached this passage and I've heard other people preach this passage as a message to parents about how to be godly parents. And you can understand how you would get there because it says... Impress these things on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them. He says these things for the children. And so I used to say to parents, this is your job. You are the primary discipler of your own children, which is true. Parents are the primary discipler of their own children. But here's where I mispreached it. If you go back to the beginning of that passage it doesn't say here O parents it says here O israel this is not a message to parents moses isn't speaking to parents telling them how to be good parents how to pass faith on to their children this is moses speaking to the entire nation of israel he's saying hey israel (laughs) all of you hear this it is your responsibility to make sure that your children All of your children, the entire generation, that next generation, knows the truth of who they are. And I want you to make sure they do that because I I want you to talk about it when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you rise up. This is our responsibility as a community. That's what Moses is saying. So this crisis of purpose I had in youth ministry was like, what's the compelling reason for what we're doing? Or what maybe is the the answer to this problem of all these young people walking away from the church. And I think what I found here, and I believe that at that time that the Holy Spirit was actually revealing to me, that this is the answer to that problem. It is not the responsibility solely of the parents to make sure that their children have deep-rooted faith. It's not the responsibility of the youth ministry alone to make sure that the young people have deep-rooted faith. It's the responsibility of the whole community. And what we had been doing in youth ministry is isolating teenagers. Isolating them into youth group, into junior high and high school. And and I'm all for youth groups. 100% for youth groups. But what we weren't doing was anything that was intergenerational. We had sort of just gotten rid of intergenerational ministry and children and, and teenagers were sort of put off over here in these categories, in these silos, we used to say. And, and we had all kinds of silos in our ministries. We had women's groups, we had men's groups, we had all these things. And, they were, and all of them were good things, but they were isolated from one another. And so I really believe, began to believe and began to teach other youth pastors and other churches. I started talking about we need to have intergenerational ministry so that young people understand what life, a life of faith looks like across all the generations. 
not just when they're children, not just when they're in a youth group, but they, they get to witness it all across the generation. So, so I changed my definition of youth ministry. And my definition, I don't know what my definition was before. It's probably something like disciples who make disciples who make disciples or something like that. But, which is, a, it's a great thing. That's a great definition. But what it became was, uh, I used to say, I began saying youth ministry is, uh, is supposed to be a catalyst in the passing of faith from one generation to the next. Not the responsible party alone to pass faith from one generation to the next, but the catalyst, the thing that makes it possible for the generations to interact and intermingle. So what does this have to do with, with one child? Well, I don't know if you've ever considered what horrible parents Jesus had, but uh, if you need biblical proof, I'll give it to you. Sorry, don't, don't get offended. I've actually said this before, and, and I had a man come up to me after I said it, and he said, Jesus had wonderful parents. If Mary and Joseph hadn't been the people they were, then he never would have been the man, young man that he was. And blah, blah, blah. He was just going, I was like, oh, sir. I said, sir, I'm sorry. I, I, it was a joke. I was just joking when I said that. And he said, oh, well, then I'm sorry that I don't understand your sense of humor. And which sounded a lot more like an accusation than an apology. But all right, here's some evidence. Bad parenting 101. Here you go. Luke chapter 2. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem. It's a huge city. Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. When he was 12 years old, think about a 12-year-old that you know. He was 12 years old. They went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus, 12-year-old Jesus, stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. They walked away from their 12-year-old in a huge city. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. They walked away from their 12-year-old for an entire day. And then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem, one day out, one day back. And after three days, I don't know if that's three additional days or three total days, it's unclear, but after three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. That sounds like really bad parenting to me, that you could walk away from your 12-year-old. I would get arrested if I had done that, if I just left my 12-year-old in the city for three days. How is it possible that Mary and Joseph could walk away from their 12-year-old? Here's how it's possible. It says they thought he was with them. It doesn't, doesn't mean they thought he was with them. They thought he was with them. Jesus was being raised in a community where many more people than just his parents poured into his life. There, was, there, were, there were neighbors. There were relatives. There were all these people who were engaging with Jesus. And because of that, it made it possible for them to walk away from him thinking that he was in their company. Thinking that he was with them. This is the kind of community that Jesus was raised in. So here's what this has to do with what I do now. I think about this. I think about Mary and Joseph. I mean, Mary was, they had a compelling call from God to raise this child. There's no doubt about it. There was no, like, it was the things they had seen, the experiences that they had had just bringing this life into the world. And the power of the spirit that rests upon them. If Mary and Joseph needed a community to raise the only perfect child that's ever lived, how much more does a family living in poverty need a community? When people have children in poverty, sometimes they, they, they feel like they're forced 
to view that child as a commodity, something that they can sell or something that they can trade. But if they're surrounded by a community who cares for them and cares for that child, how much more are they going to be willing to care for that child as well? And if they're given hope and a chance to do something different in the life of that child. I, uh, I, I am compelled by what I do. I love what I do. I love the organization that I work with. And what compels me is this idea that we need generations. Generational poverty was created by generations. Generations who didn't pay attention, generations who didn't care, generations who were dishonest, generations who uh, did, not, um, did not care about the thriving of the people. And to reverse generational poverty, we need generational churches. We need generational families. Families who can do this together. I want to, uh, I want to empower as many families around the world as possible. As many as we can get to live generationally. That's a big, that's a huge part of my heart. It's still my youth pastor heart. It hasn't left me. My calling from God has not left me, even though I'm no longer a youth pastor in a church. My calling from God continues to be reach the generations for Christ. Bring the generations together for the next generation. This is what I want for you as well. This is what I want for every church that I set foot in that you would see the young people in your church as the church. You know, when children and teenagers get, uh, become Christians, they don't get like a junior-sized version of the Holy Spirit. There's no adolescent Holy Spirit. There's just the Holy Spirit, which means they are filled with authority and power from the God who created them just as much as the oldest saint in the congregation. And if that's true, then release that energy, release that power, release that authority. Let's listen to the children. Let's listen to our young people. If you're a teenager in this room or listening online, perhaps, I just want to tell you, you belong. You belong. This is your church. You're not the church of the future. I used to say that. I used to say that teenagers and children are the future church. They're not the future church. They're the church. You can say they're the future leaders of the church if you want to say it that way, but they are the church. You are the church, and you belong here. And uh, and, and if you've never felt that way before, I just want to tell you that that's true, and then I want to invite all of you to make sure that that's true, that young people and children are valued and poured into as we speak generationally. I just want to pray a prayer over you around this very idea because this is not easy. If it was easy, we would all do it, right? It would already be done if it was easy. We need a pathway. We need a pathway to a preferred future. And we need the courage to try. So let me just pray for you. God, I pray over this, this local congregation. I pray over this, this uh, version of your body right here, this local version of your body right here. And I pray, God, that you would empower them with love and compassion and eyes to see the next generation. I pray that you would empower them to take seriously the role that we have been given by you, I believe, to make sure that the next generation knows who we are, knows where we've come from, knows the God who saved us, who rescued us, 
and the God who loves us and the God who leads us. I pray for the courage to be that kind of a church. And I trust in you, God. I trust in you that this is your heart. Your heart is for children. Your heart is for the next generation. Your scripture, your word is full of examples of that, that your heart is for the next generation. And so I pray that this church, the heart of this church would be aligned with your heart. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, James. Yeah, stirred, stirred by that and appreciate the perspective on God's word and the changing and the growing. That's our, that's our heartbeat is to always be growing, always be sensing more of God's spirit and opportunities. When you were here four years ago, you're also here with Brandon Nutter, who's uh, on site in the DR with his wife Bethany and, and, and Brandon shared a message. They're working with Envision with the Alliance and a, there's a strong partnership growing or at least hoped for to grow amongst the Alliance, Envision, yeah. Hope Centers. Uh, talk a little bit about that because the, these and these kids specifically that you have for us today are from the Dominican Republic right. and, and would cross paths certainly with the nutters down there. So right. share, share some of that that and what's available for us to partner in today. We would love to see a partnership with Union Hill Church and One Child. For whatever reason, it wasn't the right timing four years ago. It didn't right. stir. It didn't land. It didn't connect. A couple people responded and gave. But and I think I think now might be the time for a growing partnership. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So much has changed in the last four years, um, in, especially in relationship to. So the alliance is my tribe, if you want to say it that way. This is where I came from. My dad was an alliance pastor. I grew up in an alliance church. I became an alliance pastor. I went to an alliance college. I worked at the national youth. I was the national youth director for the. Alliance. I'm about as alliance as you can get. It's, it's actually, it's a little ridiculous. So I've, so, so I've always wanted, since I started at One Child, I've wanted to do more together. The only place where we had a partnership already between One Child and the Alliance was in the Dominican Republic. There were about nine or ten uh, Alliance churches down there that had been planted 20, 30, 40 years ago. And those churches were, um, were running hope centers. They had the development programs and, and still do to this day. And so, but that was the only place where we were doing it, and Alliance churches here were not participating. They didn't even know that there was these, there, there were these things called hope centers. They didn't know that children were available to be sponsored. So all those children that were getting sponsored were getting sponsored by non-Alliance churches, which is great, that's fine, but we wondered if it was possible to do something that would be Alliance to Alliance. And, uh, over this last six months, it's, this is a very new development, uh, we have been able to do that. So there are three uh, alliance churches down in Santo Domingo, which is the capital of, of the Dominican Republic. Uh, Dominican Republic is on the island of Hispaniola. If you're unaware of that, it's half of that island is Haiti, and the other half is is DR. And uh, and we're on, we're in both countries. One child is in both countries, but we have a lot of alliance churches in the on the Dominican Republic side. In fact, over a hundred alliance churches there um, that came from missionaries who went there like 50 years ago. And so that those, that's, that's where those, um, the origin of those churches was the missionaries who, who were there. And now we have this partner there called Envision with the Alliance. The missionaries all pulled out of there because the church is strong and healthy and it's a church planting church there. So the national church there is very strong, very healthy, and didn't, we, they didn't need the support of missionaries any longer. But what we do have is Envision is there. And Envision is um, the Christian Missionary Alliance 
kind of short-term sending branch. So they do short-term trips, but they're also developing the next wave of, uh, of Alliance missionaries. It's sort of a it's sort of a farm system for missionaries to go through, and we can and young people uh, get the opportunity to experience things, and we get to know them a little bit better as they're in that system. So, with Envision and One Child, both in the Dominican Republic, we decided that we would, with the National Office of the Christian Missionary Alliance, that we would choose three Alliance churches, and we would open three Hope Centers in those Alliance churches where there there was no Hope Center. And that we would reserve those children, 250 children we registered in those three Hope Centers, just for Alliance churches to sponsor. So this is the inauguration of this vision. Today is the very first day. The children who are on the profile stand out there, those, those profiles, those are, those are the very first children from these uh, three Hope Centers who will be sponsored. So. This is super exciting for me. This is something that I've been working on for five years since I started with One Child. And it was actually happening even before I got there for a couple of years. So this is like a seven-year plan that is coming to fruition today. And soon uh, a lot of other Alliance churches will join you all in uh, in sponsoring those children. But you talked about a partnership. Yeah, yeah. And what what does that look like? Partnership is what we really believe in. This this is what makes us unique from other uh, child sponsorship organizations. We do what we call a church partnership model, which is we want to partner with a church here with a church there. So that means um, it's not just a sponsor to a child. It's also a church to a church, a community to a community, a pastor to a pastor. This is the kind of relationship that we want to that we want to create, and that's unique in the in the world of uh, child sponsorship, uh, because most organizations don't do that. It's a lot more labor intensive, and it also includes trips. We want to be able to do trips so that you can actually go and meet your children, and it's possible to do that regularly, not just one time. But regularly, you could go and actually be a part of, become a part of that community. So we really believe in the long-term partnership. The long-term, the only thing short-term about a short-term trip should be the number of days. Mm-hmm. Everything else about short-term trips should have a long-term vision, a long-term partnership, and a long-term, and a long-term uh, relationship. That's I believe I believe in that kind of short-term trip. Um, the other kind makes me nervous. The kind that's just a one-off and you just go and... Uh, a friend of mine calls it go and look at poor people. I, I, I don't really like to say that out loud, but there it is. Um, but when you actually have a partnership and people who you know there, then that makes it a real relationship and those trips become much more valuable. We call our trips discovery trips because we want to go in as learners. We want to go and learn. These are people who have passion. They, they, they may be living in poverty, but they have passion and they have vision and sometimes they're under-resourced, but that doesn't change the fact that they have dignity. I mean, like I said, children are not problems. They're solutions. And if we believe those children are solutions, uh, then we can make a huge difference. So I love the, how, the, how one child set apart in that way. To, there's certainly honor for the bigger organizations that are doing sponsorship, Compassion, International World Vision. Some of you may, may have done that in the past, maybe still do. Uh, it's, it's not an only. It's an additionally potential the potential to have that long-term investment and yeah. connection and to meet families it may not be for everybody, and that's not a requirement, certainly, to sponsor. Sure. But the, the possibility that's there, if you have sponsored children or have done anything like this and you, you, you want to see lives changed, ultimately, uh, 
Yes, that does happen through these gifts, but more, right. more likely your life will be changed. We are changed in this process and the chance to meet and see and listen and learn and hear. I know this is true for you. It's true for me. Being amongst some of the poorest peoples and still seeing greater joy in their life mm-hmm. than I often see amongst, amongst friends and right. peers who are affluent mm-hmm. is sobering and a reminder of the power of the Spirit uh, right wherever they are. Right. We have that opportunity uh, to connect. So talk a little bit about the nuts and bolts uh, for yeah. someone that wants to respond today, how to do that. So you probably saw coming in, there's uh, child profiles out there. There's 30 children available to be sponsored today. There's, there's more online as well. So if you're, if you're watching this, uh, you can just go to the Union Hill website. Yep, right on the website, on the one scroll banner is an opportunity to sponsor, and that takes you right to the direct partnership link right. with uh, the Alliance and this, this site. Yeah, and all these children come from those same three uh, Hope Centers. that We call it a cluster of Hope Centers. So this little girl's name is Tatiana. She's four years old. She was born on October 3rd. Um, says that she's busy, energetic, she can't sit still, and she enjoys playing make-believe with dolls, either by herself or alongside friends. She, she pretends to be a doctor, and she loves to go to the Hope Center and hang out with her friends. Uh, her, she's being raised by a single mom. Doesn't give a lot of detail about that, but you would, uh, if you were to sponsor her, you could find out a lot more about her family as well. So what uh, sponsorship is is a $39 a month commitment, and what we need you to do is just fill out this card if you wanted to sponsor Tatiana or any of the children who are out there. Fill out this card and tear this card out and leave it with us. Uh, we just invite you to not take the card and just walk out. Uh, we call that kidnapping. Um, it's totally contrary to our mission. Um, so, but we do, we do actually lose track of that child for a while and we have to wait to see if we can get them back in the system. So just fill out this card, leave that with us. You can take the rest of this home and then you'll get something in the mail that will explain a little more um, about how to write letters to your child and how to connect with them. Obviously, 39 a month is is not nothing, right. uh, and there's, it, it's a stretch, and it's a change, or it's a shift for some for some of us. For others, though, it, who might want to sponsor more than one child, is that is that even okay? Yeah, if if there's uh, if the opportunity for one or two uh, or more children uh, is possible, that would be great. Yeah, we would love to see that. So, so obviously, thinking about the finances is one piece of it, but then what else? I mean, so you, you mentioned letters. What if someone's like, well, how often do I have to send a letter or stay yeah. connected? What if I let my my kid down? There's maybe bigger emotional or mental thoughts around this than just yeah. I'm stirred in heart to give. Yeah. There is a longer range here to it that it should be considered. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, there is a there is a commitment to a relationship. It is a real child and a real relationship, and you can write letters to them. And we have a way for you to do that online if it's easier than like who even knows where to get a stamp right now. I don't know. Um, so if you just if you want to write online, you can definitely do that. There's an opportunity, and they'll translate for us, or like I mean, yeah, like, yeah. So you write on in English on one side, and they'll translate it into Spanish on the other side of the on, of the letter when it gets to the country. So, so letter writing is a huge part. Just praying for that child. Uh, I said earlier that I felt the prayers of people um, when I was in one of those slums. I felt the prayers of people on my behalf who, I, who knew I was traveling and was in sort of dangerous area. That's true for these children as well. If they have people praying for them, that makes a difference. That's huge for them. And even the knowledge that someone prays for them can change their life, can change their heart. Uh, so that's a big part of it. And then it's also, it's also you aligning your heart with God's heart. This is what God's heart is. He loves these children. They are valuable in his eyes. 
and we have an opportunity to join him in, in doing that. So, well, if you're not, well, you are stirred, I know that. Responding to that stirring and how is up to the Holy Spirit and to, and to your willingness to pray through that. And some it will be obvious today, and it'll just be, I can't leave here without sponsoring a child. Others of you know you just need to pray about that, consider that, that that stirring continues in the long-term yeah. partnership. Please do that. Uh, what an opportunity. As we sense the Spirit at work, if there is a, a unity in that, we'll continue to explore opportunities of, of what, a, what a trip could look like when. Right. Obviously, a lot of things are unknown in our world today, but just continuing the partnership. I really appreciate you. Thank you for being yeah, with us, sharing you. your heart. And James will be around, certainly, for all the questions that weren't answered today that you have for him. Uh, please connect with him, and we'll remind you of these links. And our newsletter was already in our newsletter, and you can connect online as well through that link. So. Cool. Thank, Thank you. you, James. Appreciate Thanks. it. I invite the team to come up and give us a chance uh, of space to respond in singing and in prayer as we regularly do. And this is a chance also to receive communion if you've got those elements on the way in to be reminded of what Christ has done for us. His incredible love for us is giving of himself to us in his body and in his blood. So receive if you're newer to our community. Uh, this is a regular rhythm in response to receive either individually or as a family. Uh, and then other times we t- take collectively together as a community. But today I encourage you to receive the communion elements as you feel led in these, in these few songs. And um, we're maybe a little bit longer than we, we, we have been going recently. I hope you'll be able to stay and to connect. But there's also ways to connect with James if you do have to be on the run today. There's cards out on the table that could just... Uh, you could grab to re- remind yourself, don't take the cards off of the, the wall unless you're filling out that form. Uh, but thank you for the ways that you're already leaning in to the Spirit of God. We're, we're partnering in His work in significant ways. Uh, right here locally as we're building up these tiny homes right now. And interestingly, you, you, you preach on Deuteronomy 6 today. If you would like to write a scripture or a verse or a prayer on the inside of those walls before they get covered up this, in this coming week, Let's be people that do that. No one else will ever see that, those, those words or those uh, verses or those scriptures or those prayers, but it's a way to extend our heart to that poor community too as they are coming into a, a new place of life. So that's a unique uh, opportunity and reminder. So we continue to give right where we're at. This is our local Jerusalem, but here's a way to be stretched beyond us unto the ends of the earth for the next generation and a really neat opportunity. All right, lead us in response and respond as you are led.